BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Now it's time to talk about homelessness in America. Nearly half of all renters can't afford rent, and over half a million Americans are homeless on any given night. How did we get here? For that, we turn to Bryce Covert. She's a contributing writer at The Nation, where she wrote the cover story for the new issue. She's also a contributing op-ed writer at The New York Times, and her work has also appeared in The Washington Post, New York Magazine, Slate, and other places. Bryce Covert, welcome back. Thanks for having me back. Well, we record our show in L.A., which has a huge homeless population. The last count just a couple of weeks ago was 53,000 people homeless in L.A. County. 39,000 people are are listed as, quote, unsheltered. That means living on the streets, in tents, or maybe in cars. Why is this? Well, I think really the short answer for both Los Angeles and the country as a whole is that there just are not enough homes available that are afforded, affordable for the people who are struggling the most to pay rent. Los Angeles is in many ways the extreme example of what's going on across the country. Rents have gone extremely high there at the same time that there is just a real dearth of apartments that are affordable for the lowest income residents. It's second only to Las Vegas and tied with Orlando, Florida for having the fewest available homes. Um, Again, this is a problem across the country. There is no place in this country where there are enough homes to meet the need of low income families who are struggling to pay rent, but there's a lot of things going on in Los Angeles that has hampered and constrained the construction of both public housing and just affordable units generally. And so, you know, Skid Row has become sort of notorious, but there are a lot of people who live in tents in that, those couple of blocks called Skid Row, and that's really the the only place that they can go to sleep at night. Okay, so... The question, why are so many people homeless, has a simple answer. There's a shortage of affordable housing, but that raises the question, why is that? How did we get to this place where there isn't enough housing for low-income people? This, too, has sort of a short answer. The the answer really is that the government decided to stop investing money in public housing and affordable housing in about in the 70s and the 80s. In 1960, only about a quarter of the country's renters spent more than what's considered affordable on rent. And there was actually 
a surplus of affordable homes for the lowest income Americans, a 7.2 million unit surplus around the same time. Today, there's a deficit. Today, about half the country is paying more than they should be in rent. And you can trace that back to what happened politically in the 70s and 80s. In the 70s, Nixon came in and he put out a moratorium on spending on federally subsidized housing programs. And then Reagan came in afterward, and instead of just keeping things at a standstill, he took the axe to the funding budget and just completely decimated it. It was cut by more than half under his tenure, falling from 83.6 billion in 1976 to less than 40 billion in 1982. And the truth of the matter is, is that that really hasn't changed since. We've never really recovered that kind of funding. This is true under both Republican and Democratic presidents alike. We just don't put the resources toward it that we used to. And what that means is instead we're hoping that the private market is going to somehow be able to step in and fill the need of building um, and making available homes that are affordable to the lowest income people. And the math just doesn't work out there. Um, Even if they wanted to, the costs are too high to build these kind of units and then rent them out for the kinds of prices that people can actually afford to pay. So we have a growing crisis where there's a a large number of people who have nowhere to go where they're paying a sustainable amount of rent. And so they either end up homeless or they end up doubled up, many families in one unit, or they end up making huge sacrifices to pay way more than they should be paying in rent just so they have a roof over their heads. So you say this began with Nixon in the 70s. Before that, was there ever a a good time, a golden age of uh, public housing? Unfortunately, I would say in this country, there wasn't really. There were some fits and starts towards trying to address this question of affordable, available housing for all. But it never really took off here the way it did a little bit more in some European countries. There was a glimmer of it during the New Deal. The Public Works Administration um, built, uh, had, you know, out-of-work people get jobs through these New Deal programs, and one of the programs was to build homes that not only house the poor, but also the middle class, and they were pretty decent. Um, They looked nice. They had nice facilities. They had laundry. They had playgrounds. Some had libraries. They were pretty popular, but there weren't a lot of them. It wasn't really meant to be a national housing policy. It was more of an unemployment-fixing policy. So people wanted to expand that and make that our housing policy um, in the 1930s. And there was a bill that eventually became the Housing Act of 1937 that really tried to do that. Originally, it would have provided public housing for both the poor and the middle class. The federal government would have had a lot of say over where housing got built and how it got built. It was supposed to be high quality, you know, enough money poured into it that it was good housing. But the real estate industry did not want a competitor in the federal government. It saw these PWA houses and got nervous that people would want to live in those instead of the private market houses. And so the the lobby really whittled down the Housing Act of 1937 to the point that it was only allowed to serve 
the poor, the middle class was basically left out, um, and it also succeeded in making sure there were low-cost ceilings so that the housing was never really going to be of very good quality. And the housing that came out of that is more of what we think of when we think of public housing in this country today. Um, you know, housing that is in far-flung places because communities are allowed to opt out and just not build it if they don't want to. Um, it's not very high quality usually, and it's often allowed to deteriorate, and it's really only available to the poorest. So it's become stigmatized and seen as this, you know, handout or place of last resort instead of something that could be serving a pretty wide swath of the country. Republicans have always been against public housing from the 30s through the 70s down to the present. Housing for poor people doesn't make money for landlords. So why do Republicans care about this so much? I think they see this as a question of the private market versus government intrusion. Um, the the real estate industry still is very powerful and would like to be left alone and would like to be the arbiter of where people live and what they're paying and how good of quality it is and not have to compete with the federal government. That's still true today as it was back then, and I think Republicans are – interested in defending that private market solution and not interested in spending money on something that would serve the poor um, or even serve the poor in the middle class and become a quote-unquote entitlement. You know, if if public housing were actually of higher quality and available to a bigger slice of the population than just the very, very poor, I think it might change the way people see housing. It wouldn't be seen as this commodity that's bought and sold on the private market. It might be seen as a right. Uh, That's, I think, antithetical to a lot of Republicans' worldview. To return to the homeless in Los Angeles, in the November 2016 election two years ago, L.A. voters approved a funding proposition, Prop HHH. Three-quarters of L.A. voters approved it. This increased property taxes to raise $1.2 billion to build 10,000 units of permanent supportive housing. That was a great day. It showed that people, at least in Los Angeles, really do care about the homeless and are willing to pay more taxes to house them. Is that the kind of solution that you think will work in America today? I think it's at least the kind of attitude that we need to see more of. And it is, you know, as much as Los Angeles can be held up as an example of the problem. I think politically speaking, it can also right now be held up as part of where the winds are changing, but it's also in many ways a drop in the bucket compared to the need. Raising property taxes in cities or even states is uh, one way to start working against this long-standing problem. And it's, again, it's commendable that voters in Los Angeles, and there have been voters in other cities who have said that they want to do something like that. But a local community really is never going to be able to raise enough taxes on its own to reverse this problem and really address this problem. It, It will take the federal government. It's the federal government that turned its back on this issue and cause this crisis, and it's the federal government that's going to need to step in and put the money back in, and also to 
coordinate a vision of housing policy in this country. You know, the people I talked to for this article, the, the experts on housing, all basically agreed we don't really have a housing policy in this country. We have a private market that mostly does what it wants, and then we have some very paltry funding for public housing and vouchers and things like that. And then some local communities try to do more, but we are not really coordinated. There's no vision for how do we make sure that in one of the richest countries in the world, every citizen has somewhere to sleep at night. And where is the political initiative coming from on this? Is the uh, burning wing of the Democratic Party doing something, doing enough about the housing issue? I'm sure that if you asked Bernie Sanders, I would not be surprised if he said that he would support spending more money on housing, on public housing in this country. But it's not something I hear him talking about very much, and it's frankly just not something I hear any national Democrats talking much about, particularly in a comprehensive way. You know, some will talk about homelessness on its own, for example. Some might talk about home ownership. But the idea of having a national right to housing, a, a federal initiative to give everyone a home who needs one, is really not on the political agenda. There are definitely groups who are starting to, grassroots groups who are starting to organize around that question and push towards that answer. Um, but I don't think we have a national movement, and I really don't think we have a national leader on it yet. And I'd be really excited to see someone take up that mantle. Bryce Covert, she wrote the cover story for the new issue of The Nation on homelessness in America. Thank you, Bryce. Thanks so much. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.